God, we're uh, thankful to be here this morning. We're thankful uh, that we can gather and we can worship together. Um, we're thankful that you held off the snow uh, long enough for us to be able to gather. Lord, I just pray that this morning as we jump into Luke chapter 12, and especially as we jump into a text that's really challenging, um, I, I, I think it's some of Jesus' most challenging words to us, words that can almost make us wince as we read them. Lord, I, I pray that as we read it, though, you would help us to understand what Jesus is saying, that your spirit would illuminate that to us and that, Lord, it would encourage us even though it will be a challenge to us. And so, Lord, help us to understand what the scripture is saying this morning. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bible, you can uh, open it up to the Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke. It's going to be the third book in your New Testament. Chapter 12, chapter 12 is where we'll be this morning. If you were with us through the fall, uh, we have been preaching through the gospel of Luke for some time. Um, we've had two kind of big stints of preaching verse by verse. So I think today is like part 42 uh, of our study in the gospel of Luke. So we're going to pick that back up this morning in Luke chapter 12, and we're going to continue it through Easter, where Lord willing, we'll... Uh, We'll finish the Gospel of Luke here in just a, a couple of months. So we'll finish this study together. And this morning, we're going to be starting in verse 49. So that's where we left off. So we'll be in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 49. If you get that open, we'll read it together in just uh, a second. Um, I've shared many times before uh, that prior to uh, serving as a a lead pastor in a church or an associate pastor in a church. I was in college ministry many, many years ago. Nick and I did that together uh, for a long time, and it, it was a lot of fun. Um, and in college ministry, you encounter all kinds of different students from all kinds of different backgrounds, especially when you minister in the D.C. area. I mean, our college ministry, we had on-campus ministries at Mason, Georgetown, American, and the University of Maryland. And so uh, you, you encounter a whole lot of different people um, on those campuses. And I'll never forget this one girl uh, that we were able to minister to. Her name was Aisha, and I, I won't share what campus she was a part of, but Aisha had, her and her entire family had just immigrated here from Pakistan, very devout Muslims. And uh, she got invited, she was a freshman, and she got invited to come to one of our uh, services on campus one night. And so she came, didn't really know anything about Christianity uh, or Jesus, and she, she kind of just kind of stood on the sidelines a bit, but came and observed and listened. And, and over time, she got more and more involved, and praise God, she eventually gave her life to Christ and came to trust in, in Jesus. And so we were so excited about this, just rejoicing. And um, she came to talk to me one day. She said, hey, I want to talk to you about something. She said, hey, Alan, I, I want to get baptized. I, I want to I proclaim the faith that I now have in Jesus. Uh, but there's a problem. The problem is that if I get baptized, my family said I can't live with them anymore. They're going to kick me out. And so I just, I just don't know what to do. I, I don't know where I can live. I, I, I don't want to dishonor my mother and my father. I'm just so confused. The Bible says honor my father. Like, what do I do? 
And so we began to pray with her and talk with her and just kind of walk her through this. And, and she eventually decided, no, I, I wanna proclaim my faith in Jesus. And so she got baptized. And her family did ask her to leave the house. They disowned her. And I'll never forget, we even had some students help her kind of move her things. Some students arranged a place for her uh, to live, kind of took care of her during that time as she had to figure that out. And the amazing thing is, man, this was probably over 10 years ago now, even to this day, she's still following Jesus. See, when Jesus takes a hold of someone's heart, when Jesus restores someone by grace, helps them to know who they are as a image bearer of God, when Jesus begins to do that work into someone's life, listen, it is a massively disruptive force. It's massively disruptive to their lives, right? Because everything begins to change inside of them because Jesus begins to do a work inside of us. So things begin to change like the, the way we see ourselves and the way that we see others. Our character begins to change. The goals and aspirations that we have in life, those things begin to change. We begin to see everything differently, morality differently, the way I view my money and how to spend and invest it, I see that differently. The way I even think about truth and what truth is, all of that begins to change. And that becomes a massive disruption in your life because most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time when those things begin to happen, those changes, the work that Jesus is doing in you doesn't align with the world's expectations of you. It may not align with the expectations that your family has of you and what they want you to do with your life or what they want you to believe. It may not align with what your friends want from you. It may not align with what your boss wants from you. So it can be this massively disruptive force. Jesus is a disruptive force. And that just might be the best way to summarize and to recap the gospel of Luke as we jump back into Luke chapter 12 today. Jesus is a disruptive force force. Because when we look at what Luke has been teaching us, remember the gospel of Luke, it is a historical overview of the life and the teachings of Jesus. Okay, so we're walking along with Jesus as he's ministering to people and healing people and all of those things. And, and one of the things we see in Luke is that when Jesus arrives on the scene, he's a disruptive force. Before Jesus arrived, right, the, the, the Jewish people, they were ruled by all kinds of different groups, but they had religious leaders in place, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin and such, people in place who would lead Israel, lead the Jews in the ways of God, according to the word of God. That was what they were supposed to be doing. But they had 400 years of silence from God between your Old and New Testaments. And, and the religious leaders didn't always lead people according to God's ways into God's word. So Jesus comes on the scene and he starts to do things and teach things and perform miracles and all of these different things that goes kind of against the grain of how the Pharisees wanted everything to go. And they did not like that. He was disruptive. 
right? The Pharisees thought that they were clean and righteous before God because of the way they followed the law and because of their genealogy. And Jesus comes on the scene, or actually John the Baptist comes on the scene before Jesus and says, you need to repent and be baptized because the Messiah is about to arrive, meaning you're not righteous. And they're like, what are you saying, right? Disruptive. Jesus would do things like heal people on the Sabbath day. That's disruptive. Jesus would do things like not stone someone who was caught in sin, not judge someone who's caught in sin, but rather show grace and restore them and show them the heart of God. That's disruptive. So Jesus is on the scene. He's doing all of this stuff because what Jesus is doing is he's introducing the kingdom of God. He's bringing with him the kingdom of God, and it's clashing with the kingdom of this world. The kingdom of God does not operate like the kingdom of this world does. And as Jesus comes on the scene, he's bringing with him the kingdom, and it's massively disruptive. And so today, as we finish up chapter 12 in our study, we jump back into that chapter. We'll go verses 49 to 59. But as we do that, one of the things you got to know is that in where we are, the Gospel of Luke right now, Jesus has begun his journey to Jerusalem, his final journey to Jerusalem, in order to go to the cross. Jesus is on his journey, and he knows that at the end of this journey is him being arrested and betrayed and executed on the cross for his people. And so verse 50 tells us that Jesus is greatly distressed. And the reason for Jesus being greatly distressed is because Jesus is headed towards the cross. It's impending. He knows it's coming. It's beginning to create some stress and anxiety in him because he was human, fully human, as well as fully God. But it's also creating in him a kind of urgency to get his message out to his disciples and those who were following him. So Jesus is on his way to the cross and he's teaching about the kingdom of God and showing us the ways of the kingdom of God with a sort of urgency now. And so I think that's gonna kind of set up the words that we're gonna study this morning because as I said in my prayer, these words in verse 49 and following might be Jesus's most challenging words. I mean, it's one of those where you go, wow, where do I get encouragement from this? I think there's massive encouragement from it. But if you wince the first time you read this, well, that might be kind of what Jesus was after. He's trying to show us a stark reality this morning that I want us to get as he continues to show us what his kingdom is like and how that clashes, how it disrupts the kingdom of this world. So let's look at the scripture together, Luke 12. I'm gonna read just the first three verses for us here first. Verses 49 to 51. Just just listen to this. Here we go. Quick context, Jesus has like a thousand people around him right now, like huge crowd. His disciples are there, but all kinds of people are with him, all right? So just massive audience right now. Here's what he says. Verse 49, Jesus says this, I came to cast fire on earth and would that it were already kindled. 
Verse 50, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it accomplished is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. You're like, whoa. That, that, that's not the, the typical image of Jesus that we have, someone who says, you think I came to bring, to bring peace here? Like, what, what, is, what is Jesus saying that? Because he said that. So here's what I want to do. I want to slowly work through verses 49 to 51 because I want us to understand exactly what Jesus means by every word that he said. That's going to help us to understand how he's trying to help us uh, this morning. So in verse 49, let's just start there, verse by verse. Jesus says this, I came to cast fire here on earth. Now, biblically speaking, fire takes on probably most of the time, two different meanings in scripture, right? Th think about fire here for a second. Is there anything you can think of that's more essential to life and at the same time can be devastatingly destructive to life? Fire. Like, we don't live without fire, right? If that sun's not burning, right, in the heavens, Right? If we don't have lights and heat and ways to cook and be warm, then we don't live. Like fire, in a sense, is this, uh, it's essential for life. But at the same time, and it's all too often on the news now, if you think about what happened in the suburbs of Boulder just a few weeks ago, how devastating fire can be. It just devastate a whole community overnight like it did. It's incredibly destructive. Fire. So even in our experience with fire, there's, there's kind of two different meanings or relationships with fire. It's a good thing, and it's also a fearful, destructive thing. So in Scripture, fire is often used as a form of judgment. So when God talks about sending fire, I think when Jesus is talking about fire here in verse 49, where he says, I came to cast fire on earth, there's a judgmental element to that. Jesus is bringing judgment to the earth. But fire is also used in scripture as kind of a, a purifying force. Something that God uses to make someone clean. That kind of the refiner's fire, if you will. So there's these two different biblical meanings of fire. And I think Jesus is referring to both of those meanings here in verse 49. I've come to bring fire, a kind of fire that's gonna cast judgment on the earth and a kind of fire that's gonna bring cleansing and purity and refinement to the earth. And, and the reason why I think Jesus is referring to both is because of verse 50, right? In the last part of verse 49, Jesus says, and would that it were already kindled, almost like I long for this fire to be kindled, this fire of judgment and this fire of refinement. But it can't be kindled yet. Why? Verse 50, because I have a baptism to be baptized with. Okay, what, is, what does Jesus mean by, by that? Well, in, in scripture, this word baptism, it, it literally means kind of like an initiation and like plunging into something right? Uh, it literally means to be immersed into something. So obviously when we talk about baptism, someone, what someone does uh, when they become a follower of Jesus, it's kind of this ceremony, uh, this celebration that someone has 
come into the kingdom of God, been saved by the blood of Jesus, right? So they go and they into the baptismal waters and it kind of initiates that or it signals that initiation. So, you know, we call, we, we use the phrase baptism by fire all the time, right? It's almost like jumping into the deep end, just jumping into something. And so Jesus says, I have a baptism to be baptized with. And what he's referring to is the cross. There's going to be something that I'm going to do that's going to bring the kingdom of God. There's going to be something that I'm going to do that's going to kindle this fire. It's that baptism, and that's the cross. That's where I'm headed. And the Bible says in verse 50 that he's greatly distressed until it is accomplished. See, the cross of Jesus Christ is what's going to kindle the fire. And and if you're here today and you're a not a follower of Jesus, or you don't really know if you are a follower of Jesus or not, or what you believe, you have to understand that the cross of Jesus Christ to us as Christians is everything. Because at the cross of Jesus Christ, Jesus takes upon himself all of the sin, all of the judgment, all of the punishment and wrath that we deserve from God for our sin. Jesus says, if you'll trust in me, I will take all of that with me. I will take all of the punishment and penalty that's deserved for that with me to the cross and I'll take care of it. And if you believe in me, then you will not be held responsible. You will literally be justified in the sight of God and you will be made right with God. You'll become a child of God if you believe in me in the cross of Jesus Christ. And this is what Jesus is doing. He's going to the cross. And with this fire that's being kindled, what we see is that two groups of people are gonna be created in this world by the cross. There's gonna be people who trust in the cross of Jesus Christ and say, Jesus, I wanna follow you with my life. I'm gonna give you everything. I believe that you gave yourself for me on the cross. And so what that's going to do is that's gonna create a group of people who are going to experience a kind of fire from God that's refining. God's gonna cleanse them of their sin. He's gonna begin a process in them of changing them more and more into the image of Christ. And they're gonna see growth in their life. And then there's gonna be a group of people who reject the cross and say, God, I don't, I don't need you to do anything for me. I don't even know if you're there or not. And so these are gonna be people who go to their grave not having been cleansed by the blood of Jesus, not having experienced the refining fire so they will experience the fires of judgment. It's two different groups of people created by the cross. People who have become citizens of the kingdom of God, children of God, forgiven and people who are still part of the kingdom of this world. Two sides, kingdom of the world and kingdom of God. Therefore, there's some division. Look at verse 51 again with me. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. And you might go, Alan, isn't this like a contradiction? I'm pretty sure there's places in the Bible where Jesus said he came to bring peace. Like, kind of like Luke chapter two. You know, we just went, uh, uh, just celebrated Christmas several weeks ago, right? The, the angels appeared to the shepherd 
out in the pasture and they announce in verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. See, at the arrival of Jesus, Jesus didn't announce peace on earth for everyone. He announced peace on earth for those who trust in him. Peace on earth for his people. Peace on earth for those who belong to his kingdom. And ultimately, peace on earth for those who will trust in the cross of Jesus Christ. Those who trust in the cross experience the refining fire. Those who don't experience the fires of judgment. And Jesus says right here, I long for those fires to be kindled. And I'm on my way to my baptism, the cross. And that's where it happens. And so to understand this, to go, okay, how do we, how do we wrap our heads around this? I need to talk to two different groups of people, whether you're here or online, you listen to this later. Right? There's a message in here for those of us who are followers of Jesus, who trust in the cross, who are part of the kingdom of God. And there's a message in here for those of us who don't trust in Jesus. Look at verses 52 and 53. These hard words continue. It says, for from now on in one house, there will be five divided, three against two, two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Jesus kind of just keeps it going. So let me talk to this first group of people first. Those of us who are followers of Jesus, who trust in the cross, we're citizens of the kingdom of God. There's There's a message for us. What does this mean for us? When you look at verse 52, it says, from now on in one house, there will be, division. This isn't a command. This is Jesus verbalizing an inevitability. This is so key. Jesus is not giving us as followers of Jesus license or permission to be jerks. He's not saying, go create division. He's not saying, go show the world how much better you are than them. He's not giving us a command. He's voicing an an inevitability, right? This is an inevitability. Why? Because when you give your life to Jesus, Jesus wants all of you. Like, he's your king now. You submit your life to him and his words and the ways that he tells us to live our life, not because he just likes to give us commands that are arbitrary. No, exactly because we trust that Jesus knows what's best. He has our joy in mind. So we follow him, giving him our complete trust. And that is a disruptive force in our life. And that's not going to align with what the world expects of you. There will be clashes between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. See, because when you surrender to Jesus, Jesus begins to do a work in your heart. He begins to change things. So if you come to follow Jesus 
all of a sudden your life outlook, maybe the purpose that you thought your life was all about, maybe the mission that you had in your life, the goals that you had in your life, the, the things that you want to accomplish, those might all of a sudden change. They might be different, right? Jesus calls every one of his followers to join him in his mission to get the message of the cross to the entire world. And so Jesus calls us to that mission. And all of a sudden, when we come to know Christ, we might go, man, my life looks a lot different now. I used to have my sight set on one thing, man, money and influence or whatever it was. And now my sights are set on something different and that might make your parents upset. That might make your friends upset. That might make your spouse upset. That might change some things in your relationships because people had a different expectation of you. But they're not Lord and King. Jesus is. So, so things change. Or it could be as simple as, you know, maybe before you came to know Christ, you freely participated in the gossip at work. It was funny. It was fun. It's how you fit in, right? And everyone thought you were this bubbly person who was so funny. You had all the quick takes on people. And then all of a sudden you see them differently because Jesus has done a work in your heart. And you're still social and bubbly, but you're not going to talk down about people anymore. And so of course, coworkers might be like, man, what happened to you? You used to be fun. No, it's not that. It's just th some things have, have changed inside of me. Jesus is doing a work in my heart. It could, it could be the way you look at your money. And that now all of a sudden I've, I've, I, I, I have this money and now my outlook has changed. Now I see this as this is something God has given me and he's asked me to steward it for his kingdom. And so I'm gonna kind of see God as the owner of my money now. That's a huge change. That might ruffle some feathers in relationships, in families, in different things. Politics. I mean, neither party comes anywhere close to aligning with the ethics and the morality and the vision that God has for people, right? So I, I think faithful Christians are politically homeless. They just are. And our world wants you to have a label on you. And our world wants you to be extreme about it. And so it's gonna cause some strained relationships, especially in our polarized world. Or it could even be something like religion, right? like my friend Aisha. She really had to think about losing everything. Division occurred in her household, not because she was creating it, not because she wanted it, not because she rejoiced over that. She cried many tears over that. It created division in her house. When you join the kingdom of God, when you're a part of that, when you let that to come to bear on your life, things are going to change with you. And inevitably, there's going to be some friction. One of the messages of the text to us this morning is there will be loss and suffering associated with following Jesus. And that's not a popular message, Right? That's not something that any of us look forward to or want. But there will be loss associated with following Jesus because we live in a world that is the kingdom of this world. We live in a broken world. It is hard. Like, it's not something to be flippant about. 
And again, it, it's worth repeating. It's not permission to go create division. Right? Jesus never gives us license to be jerks to the people around us, ever, ever. The flipping of the tables is not a license to be a jerk, okay? Number one, let's let Jesus do the flipping of tables. And number two, he was flipping at the tables at the religious leaders who were misleading his people. He never flipped tables at the world because they didn't align with his values. No, he went after them. Jesus never gives us license to be a jerk, to go create division, to look down our noses at people, to show them how much better than we are, we are than them because we're not better than them. We're just saved by the cross. And Jesus is doing a work inside of us. I also need you to know this. In the same way that Jesus is not calling us to be jerks in this passage, he's also not calling us to be alone. Because you could look at that passage and go, man, that sounds really lonely. I mean, me following Jesus, like what if all the people that I'm in relationship with, my family, my friends, man, I hope that there's not division between us. There doesn't have to be, but if there is, that sounds really lonely. That's a lot of loss to follow Jesus. I want us to look at another thing Jesus said in the gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 10, verses 29 and 30. Look at what Jesus says. He says this, Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel. Like keep it on verse 29 there. Go back to verse 29. I I need you to see this. Jesus said, there is no one who has experienced this loss this division that we're talking about. No one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands. Like this is a promise to Aisha. For my sake and for the gospel. So he's very clear. You've left these things. You've experienced this loss for the sake of following me. There's no one. So just want you to get that set up. Verse 30. There is no one who will not receive a hundredfold, now in this time. Look at that. So he's saying now, this isn't a promise for the kingdom in eternity. It is a promise for the kingdom of eternity. It just starts now. So who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, not gonna lie. It's not gonna be easy. With persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. What is Jesus referring to here? So what we get here in in Mark chapter 10 is, yes, there's gonna be loss, there's gonna be suffering, there's gonna be division, like Jesus says in Luke 12, but for those who experience that, they will gain a hundredfold these things back. What, What is Jesus referring to here? What Jesus is saying is that when you experience the loss of family and relationship in this world because you're following Jesus, you gain a hundredfold a new family. Now in this time, 
which means that the only thing Jesus can be referring to here is the church. I think of Aisha, she, she left a lot, but she gained a whole community, a community of people who were there to encourage her in her faith, who were willing to sacrifice, give of their own money and their own room in their house and things for her to have the things that she needed. She gained the church. Like this is the Bible's vision for the church. The Bible's vision for the church is not just the place we gather to hear teaching. It's not just a place we gather so we can listen to worship or even worship together and, and have some programs together. No, the, the, the Bible's vision for a church is that it's a joyful family where we all have the same thing in common and that we've given our lives to Jesus. And so we've all experienced some division and loss in the world. We all experience this idea that I don't belong in this world. I don't fit in. I don't fit in with how the world does politics. I don't fit in with how the world does relationships. I don't fit in with any of this stuff. But I have a family where I do fit in because we follow Jesus together. See, the, the, the vision that the Bible has for the church is that it becomes this secure base, this embassy of the kingdom of God to where we can come in, we can be encouraged and strengthened, we can build relationship, we can have those moments with each other where we have everything in common, we're built up so we can go back out to the things that God has called us into the world. And we do this every week because guess what? It's tough out there. So we come back in every single week to be encouraged, to be built up in the word of God, to be reminded of the cross and who we are in Christ so we can go back out. Because there's a lot of loss and suffering out there. And Jesus' vision for the church is that in here, there would be consistency and commitment to one another because we need each other. I mean, if I can shamelessly plug my sermon from last week, if you didn't listen to it, please go do it. Because I just simply like labeled the sermon, this is what I want for you this year at Grace Hill. And we talked about, man, I want you to grow in your knowledge of God's word. And that's why we're gonna study the word on Sunday mornings and we're gonna study the word on Sunday nights. And I hope you tune in this week for that Romans Bible study and you dig in and learn the word of God with us. But we said, but that's also why our community groups, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, whenever that is for you, is a time for us to know one another in light of the scripture. It's a time for us to be the kind of family that Jesus just promised you in Mark chapter 10. It's a time for us to come in after experiencing loss and suffering in the world to be built up, strengthened in the word of God, to love one another so that we can go back out. We gotta have both. That's why our groups are exclusively, exclusively organized around you getting to know one another because we gotta do that for one another because out there there's division, but it doesn't need to be in here because we have Jesus. He is who brings us together. It's our secure and our safe base where we can be strengthened and encouraged. And that's my prayer for Grace Hill. That's my prayer for you, that you would press into that. You need that from the people all around you and all the people around you need that from you. That's the biblical vision of the church in a world where there's going to be, inevitably going to be division. So we talked to two groups of people 
I said, I need to talk to those who follow Jesus. We need to know what this passage has to say to us. And then I said, I needed to talk to those of us in here who might not know if we believe in Jesus or not. I wanna read the rest of Luke chapter 12 because I think there's a message in there for you. Luke chapter 12, verses 54 to 59. It says this, he also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be scorching heat, and it happens. In other words, you're pretty good at telling the weather. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? He's talking to the Pharisees here. He's saying, you can, you can look at the sky and predict what the weather's gonna be, but the Messiah himself, the son of God himself is standing right in front of you and you have no idea what's going on. You're completely missing it. Keep going, verse 57, he's saying, and why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accusers, a little parable here, as you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge. And the judge hand you over to the officer and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. All right, what is Jesus talking about here? I think the message that's here for all of us, but especially for those of you who don't know Christ is this, is that, Don't miss what's before your eyes right now. And that is the gospel. Jesus, the son of God, is offering to you salvation from your sins, eternal life with him in his kingdom, reconciliation with your creator and a purpose in this life. He is offering himself to you. Don't miss it. And just like you would be walking down the road to the magistrate with your accuser so you guys can figure out what's gonna happen, don't wait till you get to the magistrate. In other words, don't wait till the final day of judgment. Don't wait till your deathbed. Don't wait until you're before the judge because right now on the way, you have an opportunity to be reconciled with God. And now's the time to do it. Now's the time where those fires of refinement, the cross of Jesus Christ is freely offered to you right now. But when you wait till the final judgment day, that offer won't be there anymore. And so I just wanna say for those of you who don't know Christ, my question for you is, why would you wait to consider Jesus and consider the cross of Jesus Christ that what it means to follow Jesus and come to faith in Jesus is to trust that at the cross, Jesus dealt with all of your sin. It means to confess the fact that you are a sinner, that you have, just like every one of us in this room, contributed to the brokenness of this world and that we need forgiveness and we need continued forgiveness. We need to be brought into the kingdom of God. And so my question for you is, why would you wait? Why would you wait to consider Jesus? He gave all of himself for you. And now he asks for you to give all of yourself to him. And if you would trust in him today, then you would be a part of his kingdom. 
for all of eternity. And so will you trust in Jesus today? And so, so here's the thing for all of us. I just, I want us to have a moment of just doing some business with Jesus. So if, if you're here today and you're a follower of Christ, what I wanna invite you to do is, is I wanna invite you to the communion table. Because at the communion table, that's where we remember the broken body of Christ and his shed blood on the cross so that we could be made right with God, so that we'd be cleansed of our sins and brought into his kingdom and brought into this new family. The communion table is where we remember and we reflect on that. And so this morning, what I invite you to do if you're a follower of Jesus, I just want, to, I want you to examine yourself and reflect on the reality. Have I given my all to Jesus? Am I willing to experience the kind of loss and suffering and division that the Bible says inevitably will happen when it comes to following Jesus? I want you to examine yourself on that. And listen, we come to the communion table not in order to be cleansed because we've come to know, we've come to knowledge of sin in our life. No, the communion tables where we're reminded that we have already been cleansed. So we're reminded of who we are, that we are part of the family of God and we have a seat at this table and we get to feast with God and we will for all of eternity. So I want you to examine yourself. I want you to have that time with Jesus, but then I want you to come and be restored in the cross of Jesus Christ. Remember who you are. And for those of you who are not followers of Jesus, I, don't worry about the communion table. It doesn't, doesn't really mean anything for you right now. But all I want you to do is I want you to consider Jesus this morning. Maybe even pray to God if you're willing to do that and say, God, if this is true, would you just, would you reveal it to me? Would you help me to see that this is true? And maybe even this morning you could take that step of faith and say, no, I, I do wanna put my trust in Jesus. And as a church, we would love to walk with you through that. You can find me today. You can contact me or any of our pastors We'd love to walk with you through what does it mean to trust in Jesus? I want you to have that time right now. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna pray and then uh, Nick's gonna play some music for us and just gonna give you some space to pray uh, with God. And then when you're ready, whenever you're ready, uh, you can come to the communion table. Let's pray. Father, these are tough words from Jesus this morning but they're good words. They're good because they're true. And they're good because they prepare us for what it really looks like to follow Jesus in this world. So God, I pray for encouragement this morning, even in the midst of challenging words. Encouragement that even though in this life we might experience suffering and loss, that you're still after our joy that you still have brought us into your family, that we will have all of eternity in the kingdom of God where there will be no more division or suffering or loss. So God, I pray you would strengthen your people this morning, encourage your people to go live their lives boldly as a follower of Jesus and a citizen of the kingdom of God. And so I pray for their time right now as they pray and they come to the communion table that God, you would just build their faith up this morning. And Lord, if there's anyone here who's here right now or 
joining in online or listening later who doesn't know you, they haven't put their faith and their trust in you, God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them right now. That Lord, you would build their faith and that they would trust in you. We love you, Jesus. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Spend some time praying now and you can come forward whenever you're ready.